I guess that most people here today are, are Christian. You know, that's the kind of person that comes to church. But there may also be some non-Christians here this morning. And it's great. It's great you're all here. But a question to ask, should Christians impose their beliefs on others? If you are Christian, have you ever felt that evangelism is like an imposition of your opinion on other people and that maybe you need to be careful about doing that? Or if you are not a Christian, do you, are you offended when Christians try to change your mind about Jesus Christ? Well, I guess the fact that you're here in church today means that you're willing to consider uh, things of the faith. But there, but, but, but there are lots of people out there, there are lots of non-Christians out there who, who, who are offended when Christians try to impose their beliefs on people like you. Is it wrong for Christians to impose their beliefs on others? Can I have that graphic now, please, Reuben? In our church, we've adopted, we've been using this graphic, this GSTW, Grow, Serve, Tell, Worship graphic, as a way of thinking about the Christian life. It's not everything, but it does help us to think, you know, to have a certain balance in our lives. What am I doing to grow? What am I doing to serve? What am I doing to tell? How am I worshipping? And the last couple of weeks I've been uh, looking at this graphic uh, and, and trying to emphasise that the great aim of all we do is worship. So, we, so we, a couple of weeks ago we looked at 2 Peter chapter 3 and saw that we grow in order to worship. Last week we looked at 1 John chapter 3 and saw that we serve in order to worship. Today I want to look at the fact that we need to tell in order to worship. Grow, serve and tell are all aimed at worship. Okay, you can flick it off now. But when we're thinking about telling, where telling is aimed at worshipping God, we have a prior question. Is it right to tell others? Should we be imposing our beliefs on others? Now, I think when you understand what the Bible presents as evangelism, you will see that it is not really a case of imposing on others. Evangelism is just telling people the good news about Jesus. That's why we've used the word tell in our graphic. It doesn't include forcing people to believe it as if, as if we could. Um, it, it's true that I'm going to try to convince you that certain things, you know, convince you today here, I'm going to try and convince you that some things in the Bible are true. But I'm not going to be able to force you to believe them, am I? I just can't do that. Uh, a judge can send me to jail, he can impose a life sentence on me, but he can't make me believe that the sentence is correct if I don't believe it is. You can force your young children to eat their Brussels sprouts, but you can't make them believe that it's a good thing to do. You see, you, 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 can't, you can't force the heart. This is why persecution against Christians doesn't work. 
There are lots of places around the world where it's dangerous, it's illegal to be Christian. Um, but, but in those places, the, Christ, the gospel continues to grow and sometimes we see that it grows better in those kind of places than in places where Christians have freedom. Why is that? Because a regime can never force the heart. A regime can take everything away from you but can't take away from you your fundamental beliefs about reality. Evangelism, telling other people about Jesus, is not imposing beliefs on other people. You can never force anyone to believe anything. All we can do is tell others. But as we tell others about Jesus, powerful things happen. And I'd like to show you today what kind of powerful things happen. Now, our text is 2 Corinthians 2. 14 to 16. So let's go to that passage. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Two Corinthians 2, starting at verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and spreads and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? In this passage, Paul combines two pictures. There's a Roman picture and a Jewish picture and he puts them together to explain what he's... What he's, what he's he, he wants to explain two identities. So we have two pictures, two identities. And that, let's, let's let that frame what we're thinking about. Two pictures, two identities. The first picture is a Roman picture. It's a picture of a Roman triumph. A triumph was the highest honour that Rome could give a general. Now, for a general to earn a triumph, he had to fulfil certain criteria. You know, he had to win a decisive battle where uh, more more than 5,000 of the enemy fell. The decisive battle had to result in an extension of Roman territory. Uh, That territory now had to be at peace and all the conquering... Uh, troops had to, had to have been brought home. And the general himself must have been the actual commander-in-chief in the battle. So he couldn't just be the guy in the background who gives orders. He had to be in the battle, involved in leading the troops. If that was the case, then the city of Rome gave a general a triumph. A triumph was a parade through the streets of Rome. The whole Senate turned out. They led, they led the parade. Then came trumpeters. Then came some of the spoils of the battle. Uh, then there was a white bull that was used for the sacrifice that was coming at the end. Uh, then there walked the captive princes and leaders of the, of the conquered foe who after the triumph would be thrown into prison and eventually executed. Then came musicians, then came uh, priests swinging censers of incense. 
so that uh, the fragrance of this march, you know, that people could see the march, they could see the triumph, but they could also smell it, the fragrance of that, that triumph-filled uh, Rome. Finally came the victorious general himself, clothed in scarlet, riding a magnificent chariot with his troops behind him. The whole city came out to cheer their champion. So this is the first picture. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. The picture is that Christians are being led in triumphal procession through the world, spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. Okay, well, the second picture is not Roman. The second picture is Jewish. It is a picture of a Jewish sacrifice. Joe read about it before from Leviticus chapter 1. In verse 9, it it says, It is a burnt offering, and an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Now, in a burnt offering, the whole animal was consumed by fire. There was nothing left, maybe ashes, but you know, the whole animal was consumed. It was, it was meant uh, to symbolise that the, the animal was completely devoted to God in the place instead of the worshipper being completely destroyed by God, as he deserved to be. So instead of the worshipper being destroyed... The animal was completely uh, burnt up, completely devoted to the Lord. And and the text tells us that the Lord was the Lord that 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 the smell of the burnt offering is an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Why would the aroma of a burning animal animal be pleasing to the Lord? Well, I think it's because of what it symbolized. Um, God God loves to save his people. Later in history, Jesus Christ would take the place of his people and be killed instead of us. Uh, Ephesians 5 verse 2, which Joe also read, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. The work of Jesus Christ Was the work of Jesus Christ acceptable to God? Was it pleasing to God? Well, it was infinitely pleasing to God because God loves to save his people and through the work of Jesus Christ, God saved his people. And so the work of Jesus was pleasing, an aroma, a fragrant offering, pleasing in in God's sight. And so the offering of the... The whole burnt offering way back in Leviticus chapter 1, points to what Christ would do. And so the aroma of that offering is pleasing to the Lord as well. So here are the two pictures, a Roman triumph and a Jewish offering. Now Paul uses these two pictures to talk about two identities. Christians have two identities. One in the world and one before God. In the world, we are the fragrance 
of the knowledge of Christ. Before God, we are the aroma of Christ. So in the world, we are the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. The picture here is that God is leading us in in a triumphal procession through the world and as we go, the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ is being spread around the world. It's often said that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I'm sure you've heard that. Well, in the same way, odour is in the nose of the beholder. Um, Brides might use frangipani in their bridal bouquet to give it a beautiful scent. Uh, we often associate flowers with beautiful scents, don't we? You know, you see a rose in the garden. I've got some roses in my garden that have a beautiful scent. And you smell the roses. Um, but there are, there are some flowers that have a really bad smell. They, they attract other kinds of insects, insects like blowflies, and they attract them by their really bad smell. These flowers are called carrion flowers. They have showy blossoms, but the scent of rotting flesh. Some of these flowers stink so badly that people have been known to pass out when they get too close to them. So you don't want to use one of these in your bridal bouquet. That's a free hint if you're planning a wedding. Carrion flowers are foul to us, but they are super attractive to blowflies who, who live in rotting meat. They, they, they lay their insects in rotting meat and they are attracted to carrion flowers. Carrion flowers survive by attracting blowflies and other insects like them to pollinate them and to lay their eggs. And some of these flowers even digest the eggs as part of their food. Well, we may not have smelt a carrion flower, but all of us, I'm sure, have smelt a kangaroo that's been killed by a car lying on the side of the road, starting to rot, and we, we, we hurry away. Uh, the smell of a dead kangaroo, the smell of a carrion flower is the smell of death to us. But to a blowfly, it is the fragrance of life. Paul says that the same that, that to some the knowledge of Christ is the smell of death, and to others it's a fragrance of life. Think back to that picture of the march through Rome. Um, all, all the citizens can see the procession, but even those who can't see it can smell it because the smell of the procession wafts through the city. Now, think about that smell. To the, to the victorious general, to his troops marching along behind him, that smell is the smell of victory, is the smell of life. But what is it to those captive princes who are about to be executed? You see, it's, this, it's the odour of death, isn't it? To them, it's the smell of death. The fragrance of Christ, the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ is the smell of death to some and it is the fragrance of life to others. Now, Paul doesn't actually leave us guessing 
He doesn't leave us guessing to work out which is which. Uh, Verse 15. We are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. The kind of people we move among, if we're Christian, is that there are only two classes. There are those who are being saved. There are those who are perishing. There is no third class of people. The gospel divides people into two groups. There are those who are being saved. They regard the gospel of Christ as the fragrance of life. Then there are those who are perishing. They see the gospel as being the smell of death. What's causing the division? The division is caused by the message of the gospel as it's spread around the earth by those who are in triumphal procession. The gospel is always news. To some it's good news. To others it's bad news. But, but notice, notice something else about this passage. It not, only, it not only tells us that the gospel is offensive to some people, it is also... The passage itself is offensive to some people. The passage itself bears the smell of the gospel about it. Here is what Paul is saying. As as Christians go through the world, as Christians tell people about Christ, as we spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ, people encounter that message and their eternal destiny is determined by how they respond to that message. How people respond to the message of Christ determines whether they are those who are being saved or those who are perishing. Now, do you find that offensive? The picture I have in my mind is a Christian man walking through a crowd, a a thick crowd walking through a crowd, and as he walks through that crowd, the crowd is being split into two, and some of that crowd are dying, and some of that crowd are living. The Christian stands between the living and the dead. Do you find that offensive? Do you, are you offended by the idea that Jesus Christ makes the difference between life and death? Or do you find that glorious that Jesus Christ makes the difference between life and death? You see, how you respond to this passage, whether you find it offensive or glorious, how you respond to this passage is a signal for how you respond to the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are not a Christian today, I, I recognise that this is offensive. This is my, my explanation of this passage will get your gall up. But please think about it. I, I can't impose it on you. I can't force you to agree. The passage itself tells us, doesn't it? that some receive it and some don't. Some accept it, some agree, 
and some don't. But please consider, it is a matter of life and death. If you're not a Christian, realise that those Christians you know, if those Christians you know are sort of half-hearted about their faith, then they're not living out their true identity. Serious Christians, those who are seeking to spread the fragrance are, are, are those who are living up to their, their identity as people through whom Christ is spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of him. So we've been looking at these two pictures and these two identities. The two pictures, a Roman one and a Jewish one, and the two identities. In the world we are the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. And then the second identity, before God we are the aroma of Christ. Now this is an absolutely stunning fact. Remember the background, the smell of the burnt offering pleasing to God because it's pointing ahead to the, 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 the fragrant offering, the sacrifice that Jesus would make. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The Lord takes pleasure in saving his people. He takes pleasure in the work of Christ because that is how people are saved. Jesus offered the sacrifice of himself once for all. He, he lived on this earth. He died on the cross. He went to the grave. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again from the dead and is alive today and is spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of him through us. He's leading us in triumphal procession through the world, spreading the knowledge of him. And just as Jesus' once for all sacrifice of his life was pleasing to God, so the ongoing work of spreading the knowledge of Christ is pleasing to God. It is the aroma of Christ to God. Think of that. Our witness smells of Christ to God. Isn't that amazing? Uh, the burnt offering in Leviticus nine. Uh, the burnt offering in Leviticus chapter one was part of worship. When Jesus gave His life for us, in a real sense, it was an act of worship. It was a sacrifice, a fragrant offering to God. As we go about in the world, spreading the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We are the aroma of Christ to God. It is an act of worship. As we tell people about Jesus Christ, we are worshipping God. It's an act of worship. Why are we going in triumphal procession? Are we celebrating something? Absolutely we are celebrating something. We're celebrating the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has won the victory. Death and life leading to death and life. For those who see it as the smell of death 
or the fragrance of life. So what are we called to be as Christians? I think a good way of thinking about it is that we're called to be distinctive. You know, that word distinctive contains the word stink, doesn't it? We are to be distinctive. We are, um, God is calling us to be smelly Christians. You can't control how people will respond, but, but you can control how clearly the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ seeps out of the very pores of who you are. As we bear the fragrance of Christ in the world, it will please some, it will offend others, but to God it will be worship, it will be the aroma of Christ. Let's come to God in prayer. Our gracious Father, we have seen something of the enormous, of the enormous privilege that we have. There is only one single human work that was absolutely perfect in the history of this world. And that was the work of our Lord Jesus Christ in his life, death and resurrection. His work was pure and perfect. A life of worship that you were utterly pleased with. But now the amazing thing is that you regard our witness to Christ as the aroma of Christ. Our witness of Christ can smell of him to you and so be an act of worship before you. Father, we stand amazed that you would treat us with such favour, that you would give us such an awesome opportunity. We pray that we will not squander our opportunities but use them well that we might worship you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.